25 years ago, Ashley wrote a letter to Santa Claus. Dear Santa, I have been a good girl this year. I would like clothes, jeans, sweaters, and a Blue Jays jersey. I will leave you a cold beer and a couple of smokes. That's Ashley promising Santa Claus something a little stronger than milk and cookies. And this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live at the Rocket Room in St. John's, Newfoundland, we have a fake newspaper article, sibling revenge, and journal entries written to God. This stuff may be weird, but it can also be revealing, not just about who we were, but about who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When Stacy was 13, she kept a journal, and some of her entries were addressed directly to God. Here's Stacy, live on stage in St. John's. <clears throat> Dear God, you probably already know, but in case you don't, I did a couple of gross things today. After school, Trina and Kelly in grade 9 asked me and Lacey to go to the fire break. Trina and Kelly go to the roller rink on weekends and always hang out there with the cute guys. They're not all cute, actually. Maybe two out of ten, I would say, are cute. Anyway, me and Lacey thought it would be cool to hang out with them. I still can't find my crimping iron, by the way. Mom said she'll ask my aunt to send one down from Ontario this summer. Anyway, please don't be mad at me, at least not for long, because you have been one of my bestest friends for a while, and I know you don't gossip. Ha ha. So we went to the fire break, and when we got there, it was eight of us. Eight is enough, I guess. Ha ha. Just joking, God. (laughs) It was Trina, Kelly, Dave, Seamus, Monty, who is the cutest, by the way, Michelle and me, and Lacey. So five girls and three guys. I never, ever did these two things before. But I did taste wine before at Susan's house, but that was in front of her parents, and they let her try it at Passover, and I didn't like it at all. (laughs) Anyway, Trina asked me if I smoked, and I said no. And then she said, well, did you ever try it? And I said no. And then she said, well, how do you know you don't smoke? (laughs) So she gave me a cigarette, and I was afraid of the lighter because I didn't want my bangs to catch on fire. (laughs) And she laughed and said I was weird. (laughs) Anyway, Trina lit a cigarette for me. Trina told me I wasn't doing it right because I had to inhale and suck it in and pretend my mother caught me, so I had to inhale and say at the same time, (gasps) Mom's coming. (laughs) 
I did it three times in a row and mostly coughed and laughed out the smoke because it was so stupid and I was nervous. <laughs> then she wanted me to practice blowing O's. Every time she showed me how to do it, she looked like the Johnny Sculpins around my grandfather's wharf. <laughs> and her jaw kept clicking. It was so gross. Honestly, God, I really just wanted to leave, but Lacey and everyone kept smoking, and then Dave with the bloodshot eyes gave everyone a beer. He is so gross. He honestly looks like a human bloodhound. His hair is long and greasy, and he looks like he never washes it. I didn't want the beer, but I took it anyway. I took one taste and almost puked. I actually urged. M Michelle gagged too, and they all laughed, and Trina said we were green. I couldn't drink it without puking, so I told them I had to pee, and I walked into the trees and pretended to pee, but really I was pouring the beer out. <clears throat> when I got back, I pretended to take tastes, and then I drank the last little bit, and I said I had a babysitting job. That wasn't a lie, by the way. Then Michelle said she would go with me because she had to study for a test, so we left together. Then we went to Thrifty's and bought some gum, the kind that squirts out gel because Michelle said it was like built-in toothpaste. And then we went to Michelle's house to use her sister's body spray. She, she said her sister stole it from Shopper's Drug Mart. <clears throat> Michelle did not have a test to study for, by the way. She wanted to leave, too. I told Michelle I didn't like Trina, and she said she didn't like Trina either, and only went because she liked Seamus, but now she doesn't like him. Seamus even told Michelle that Trina was a hard case, but I guess he doesn't mind. <laughs> Michelle said she only knew one other Trina with the same spelling, and that Trina used to live here, but now she lives in paradise, and she's a hard case too. <laughs> Michelle said because we didn't like beer, we would definitely not become alcoholics. So that's a relief. <laughs> so God, I did do two gross things, but I did learn two good lessons. One, be careful of anyone named Trina. <laughs> Especially spelled with an I. Two, not everyone with crimped hair is as cool as you think. P.S. I still want a crimping iron, so please help. Love ya. After the show, Stacy called in to reflect on her journal entry to God. Living in a small place, living in Newfoundland in general uh, during that time, and not being a Protestant or you know Catholic, made me definitely different and uh, definitely informed my relationship very quickly uh, with God, I guess. I, um, I felt God was my buddy, and, uh, and I relied on that relationship to just uh, to be what it was, to be a place of uh, security. One theme that keeps coming up time and time again at our live shows is sibling rivalry. And in St. John's, we got a great example of how that can play out. Natalia is going to come up here and read a diary entry written when she was nine years old. All you need to know about this is that the name of her older sister is Delphine. Please welcome to our stage, Natalia. 
Dear Diary, I am thinking about revenge on Delphine. <laughs> revenge on Delphine. One, rip her best drawing. Two, wreck her pencils. Three, lose something of hers. Four, not do anything for her. Five, wreck something of hers. Doll's clothes, Petunia. Petunia was her favorite little doll. Six, lose her page in a book. Seven, not play with her. Eight, make Delphine make a mistake. Yours truly, Natalia. P.S. I decided not to do any more revenge on Delphine. Yours truly, Natalia. That is what we call stone motherfucking cold. <laughs> I am pleased to report that today, Natalia and her sister Delphine have a revenge-free relationship, at least according to Natalia. One of the most popular kinds of writing we hear at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is poetry. And what I love about childhood and teenage poems is how expressive they can be, how we take these strongly held convictions and confusing new feelings that we have, and we try and wedge them into something with a rhyme scheme or a clever metaphor. At our St. John's show, we heard a lot of great poetry, and that's what we're going to hear from our next few readers, starting with David, who brought along a poem he wrote entitled, Patriotism Sucks. (laughs) Would you die for your country? Submit to the drills? Do you think you'd be free? Wrong! Patriotism kills! You spend your days in a state of limbo while being yelled at by some macho bimbo, then then sent to kill a stranger because they say you're in danger. In truth, the stranger's just like you. He's endured the same you've been through. You both obey the man. You're both the same and understand a falsehood portrayed since our ancestors' childhood. Would you befriend the man who'd kill you for his gain or another sent to do the same? Are you content to be a pawn? Hell no! Live to see another dawn. Thank you very much. Patriotism sucks. Our next reader, Ellen, brought a poem called We the People. And all you really need to know about this is that Ellen wrote this poem at a time in her life when she was reading a lot of Shakespeare. See if you can detect the influence. Okay, so We the People. Oh, woe is me, for I am in woe, and I am so horrible. Oh, depression, 
I, being but a lowly youth, misunderstood by the adult race, shunned by the ages since time has began. Oh, woe is me, for I am in woe, and I am so horrible. Oh, depression. (laughs) But they are ignorant towards us. They refuse to believe that we have worth. We are tomorrow's future. They, the next generation. Oh, woe are they, for they are in woe. And their time is ending. Oh, their depression. (laughs) Our life is beginning where their life has ended. We soon will be changed to fix their mistakes. What will they think? Oh, woe is me, for I am in woe. And I am so horrible. Oh, depression. Thank you very much. Now, a quick heads up about our next poem. It is about sex, but there's nothing really explicit in it. All of the sex is wrapped up pretty tightly in metaphor and strong feminist leanings. Here's Dara, live on stage in St. John's. Hey, girls, why do you lie there flexing your muscle while the boy grabs and pulls, pushes, shoves, grunts, and moans his way in? You mocked that his sword would never reach your temple. (laughs) But hey, girl, don't you know that just because he's inside your defensive structures, you haven't lost the war? (laughs) Hey, girl, you're living a stratified life horizontally. But you must know that the boy can't control you, your urges, your freedoms. So hey girl, lead the revolution. (laughs) Fight fire with fire. Rape the lands of your oppressors. (laughs) Turn over and let him know your power. I was a virgin when I wrote that. (laughs) One of the things that strikes me about teenage poetry is how looking back can seem over the top. It can seem overly dramatic. And while it's easy to read this stuff and laugh at our former selves, I think it's important to remember that at the time, those over the top feelings did not seem over the top. They seemed real because they were real. And writing was a way to get a handle on those feelings. Here's Sarah, reading a poem she wrote called, If I Wasn't Scared. If I wasn't scared. If I wasn't scared, I'd tell you how much I hate you. If I wasn't scared, I'd tell you about the damage you've done. If I wasn't scared, I'd tell you about all the tears. If I wasn't scared, I'd tell you about how you ruined my childhood. Laughing, teasing, ignoring, attacking, all for who I am. All because she can take it all because she's tough. Don't think about the heart you're breaking. If I wasn't scared, I'd tell you that you're fake. That I'm the one who's really happy. If I wasn't scared, I'd tell you that you're wrong. After everything you've done to me, I'm the one who's real. What does it take to feel? If you weren't scared, you'd know. 
If you weren't scared, you'd understand. After the show, Sarah called in to explain what was going on in her life when she wrote that poem. I grew up in a really small um, rural community that I had actually been moved to from the city in about third grade. Um, And because of that, I never really fit in in the community. Um, And my parents were really eccentric and artsy and kind of weird, so that definitely didn't help. Um, And as a result, I was bullied for most of my school life Um, and so if I wasn't scared is about staying true but empathizing with the, the people who hurt you the most. I would love to go back and tell 14 year old me that everything that I put up with turned out to be worth it and uh not sacrificing my individuality to have people I didn't even like be nice to me, just help me be a stronger person and have a really strong understanding as an adult of who I am and what I believe and what I think and what I feel. So um, retaining your individuality above anything else is important and uh, worth it. Sometimes the kid writing we hear on stage is cute. Sometimes it is funny. Sometimes it's bittersweet. And other times it is just plain bizarre. Joining us on stage, Katie is going to read what she describes as a collection of stories and anecdotes uh, called from a variety of notebooks and journals written between the ages of 6 and 12. Please welcome to the Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids stage, Katie. My art teacher made me draw popcorn kernels in school today. This drawing became really boring really fast. This is because popcorn is not significant or important to me. (laughs) It isn't something that affects me all the time, so I'm just drawing without any meaning, therefore I don't like this drawing. I just went to the store to get a bag of chips, and this man came up and talked to me for like three hours. Listen, I don't want to hear about your problems, old man. I do not want to end up like him at the end of my life. 80 years old and worrying about yams? He said something about burning down his house, but the yams are far more embarrassing. I don't want to hear about your problems with yams, old man. I failed my parents. I'm not going to tell them. They're going to kill me. I'll wait until they're in a better mood. For some reason, my dad bought two pineapples after we had three in the house. Now I have five pineapples and I don't know what to do with them. Ideas for stories. Number one, Steve and Dan go to see a movie and they buy some popcorn. 
No way. I get to butter my own popcorn, Steve says happily. What? asks Dan, confused. We get to butter our own popcorn, Steve says. No way, Dan says excitedly. Number two. Of a- <laughs> a volunteer firefighter who sets stuff on fire. Number three. A town builds a temple to please a fish that comes out of the wire once per year. So far, it has only terrorized the folks in town and destroyed most of the buildings. The fish holds infinite wisdom. No one has been able to stop it, and there is a problem with the water as well. And the last one, number four, a rhubarb plant from hell. How do I make the plant scary? I give it hands, and it moves in with the T-Rex. We see who comes out victorious. Katie, ladies and gentlemen. When James was 16, he had to go to summer school. And in one of his classes, the teacher gave everyone an assignment. Write a story in the style of a newspaper article. And as you'll hear, James took things meta. Very meta. Uh, Headline, uh, local student enrolls in summer school. (laughs) By Jamie McLeod. On July 2nd, 2001, Jamie McLeod, an average Toronto teen, enrolled in summer school at career studies at Danforth Collegiate. Jamie ended up there after failing career studies during the regular school year with a 30%. Quote, I felt it was a pointless course, so I didn't try. I don't regret it. I made a decision and I stand by it, Jamie said. (laughs) According to Jamie, there was also a certain amount of friction between him and his teacher, Mrs. Webb. (laughs) Careers is far from one of the favorite courses for the majority of the student population in North Toronto uh, and most other schools in the Toronto District School Board. However, the course, course is mandatory and all students need it to get a high school diploma. Therefore, Jamie had no choice but to take it in summer school. When Jamie arrived on the first day of classes, he took a different approach to the class. He still treated the entire process with a somewhat rebellious disregard for learning. But he did the assignments and used them to criticize the teaching staff. Specifically, his teacher, Mrs. Tucker, a history teacher at Danforth, the course, and even the Tory government who implemented the course. (laughs) Quote, I knew I had to get the credit, so I did the work, but I didn't have to enjoy it, Jamie commented. (laughs) In the end, he earned a mark of 77%, a more than 50% increase from his first mark. Bridget McLeod, Jamie's sister, refused to comment. (laughs) 
But Jamie's brother had this to say, quote, the entire thing was stupid and completely unnecessary. Given James's enthusiasm for that newspaper assignment in school, you might be surprised to learn that today he writes professionally for The Telegram, a newspaper in Newfoundland. I don't know what 16-year-old me would make of that. I, I would hope he'd think it was a cool job, but at the time I was wearing a spiked collar and black nail polish. Now I wear a tie to work every day, so he might look at me and think I sold out. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Rocket Room in St. John's, Newfoundland, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear. And if you are hearing the sound of my voice, if you made it to the end of the episode and you like what you hear, tell somebody. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids has always been a word of mouth kind of thing, and personal recommendations, they mean a lot. So if you know somebody who might like the show, Tell them about it. And if they're not a podcast person, or maybe they don't know how to get podcasts, show them. Show them how to get subscribed. They will thank you later. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. Grown-ups read things they wrote as kids. Gosh, that's a long name.